Welcome to Scrappy ABM, your source for groundbreaking approaches that don't break the bank. ABM shouldn't cost 200K in tech to even get started. So if you want to get started with ABM or make your program even better without investing a massive amount of money, you're in the right place. Each week, we'll hear from the brightest minds in the marketing world who are redefining ABM, achieving incredible results with untraditional methods, limited resources, and a whole lot of creativity. This isn't a show about how much money you can spend on fancy tech or overhyped tools. Instead, it's about celebrating creative problem solving and the scrappiness it takes to get ABM right. We'll dive into how these marketing leaders built robust ABM strategies with limited resources, revealing the actionable insights that led to their biggest wins. So if you're a marketer ready to challenge the status quo and build a scalable, efficient, effective marketing strategy, Scrappy ABM is the show for you. So if you're ready to discover ABM strategies that are lean, impactful, and utterly transformative, let's dive into this episode. Hello and welcome to Scrappy ABM, your practical podcast for account-based playbooks that don't break the bank. Today, I am joined by Ryan Gunn, who is the Director of Demand and Operations at Aptitude 8. And before Ryan jumps in, I just got to say, like, I've known Ryan for quite a few years. When it comes to ABM and operations, Ryan is legit one of the most knowledgeable people that I know. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen him work on programs and like actually seen the tangible impact. So I just want to give a massive shout out to Ryan. I've talked a lot about his campaigns in the past when I worked at a former agency as the abilities that we had, but a lot of it was Ryan's expertise married up with that agency's expertise. Ryan is a genius. I'm super pumped to have him on the show. So Ryan, thank you for joining me today. That is entirely too kind. It's not. You're too humble. Possibly live up to that intro, but I'm going to try. I will go ahead and say, before we dive in, as we were prepping for this, Ryan just casually said, oh, by the way, I was just like dabbling in HubSpot to make sure that I could provide great examples and happened to build out a variety of dashboards and workflows. So if you want to see <laughs> any of those things, just message Ryan on LinkedIn and he'll send you a message and we may end up sharing screen before the end of this. But that's the kind of guy that Ryan is. He's just like super knowledgeable and can just kind of put some things together. And again, I'm excited to dig into it because... As we've mentioned, Ryan's built some incredible ABM programs, but not using like the massive, massive tech stack or the massive marketing resources and team. Ryan, like, was you were building this ABM program that we're going to walk through, like, how large was the marketing team and the sales team? Marketing team was tiny. It was me and one other person. This company brought me in to kind of build their marketing from the ground up. And the idea was to build it as an account based program. The sales team was a little bit larger. I think we had five or six account executives, still relatively small though. So yeah, tiny team, tiny resources, but we made it work. And in that context, when we say AEs, are they full funnel AEs? So there weren't like BDRs or SDRs, like they were also doing their own prospecting and pipeline sourcing? Yeah, no no BDRs whatsoever, just the AEs. If you think about like the go-to-market team for ABM, literally eight people, six of which were sellers, two of which were marketers. And then you had agency support as well. But at the core, yes. it was a pretty small team. And then as we think through the tech stack, what was the technology that you guys were using? Initially, we were just using our CRM and our map platform. So that was Salesforce and HubSpot. We ended up buying Terminus. And I can get into more of that. I think we should have waited a little bit longer before we made that move. But we did end up using a a traditional ABM platform. Okay. So again, even from a tech stack perspective, though, we're looking at 
most organizations today have a CRM. Most organizations today have a marketing automation platform. They may or may not have an account-based advertising platform or an account-based marketing platform. But again, we'll dig into whether or not that was even the right investment at the right time. So again, let's help level set so that if you're listening into this and you're trying to think through, okay, I need help building my operational foundation. Like that's the context that Ryan is coming from, but also Aptitude8 is a HubSpot operations organization. So they're helping tons of organizations build out their ops across a variety of segments. So just so you know, again, if you're struggling through the ops side of things, like this is the episode that you want to listen to. So again, thinking through operations, it's one of the top three reasons that ABM programs fail. And Ryan, I'm curious from your perspective, like why do you think when people are trying to build ABM that operations is generally where they fall down? And why is it so critical for success? Operations is the foundation for everything that you're going to build in the future. If you don't have a good foundation, then you can't automate processes, which means you're doing things inefficiently. You can't capture the metrics that you need to measure. So you're not able to report on your success, which means that your leadership is probably looking at you and saying, what are you actually doing? So all of that supports every single piece that you're going to build in the future to to make your ABM program work. Yeah, again, foundational around reporting, but I even think through like just the, the basics of we talk about marketing and sales alignment and if you don't have the right operations. How do you trigger sales? There's so many pieces that come down to that to write that, operations. That handoff process between marketing and sales, like that's important in any organization. But if you're doing ABM, it's so much more important. And if you don't have good processes around what happens during that handoff, if you don't have SLAs between your marketing and sales team, it's going to fall apart so fast. What I'm also curious to hear is, because a lot of organizations, they especially if they're on HubSpot, which is where we're going to talk about of our time today, they've built operations around inbound marketing. So they may not have bad operations in general, but they may not have great ABM operations. So I'd love to understand from your perspective, kind of the nuances as we think about transitioning our ops from a just kind of a general marketing or an inbound marketing perspective towards an account-based marketing perspective. Why is that transition difficult for a lot of people? Uh, a big part is just how your organization thinks about marketing and marketing success. I know a lot of organizations are very focused on the MQL, which is a single contact metric. When you switch over to an account-based strategy, you're really not focused as much on individuals and individual leads and contacts journey through the funnel, you're taking an account-based approach to it. So you, all of your metrics are looking at the account level and maybe it's contacts at target accounts, but it is still focused on those account level metrics. And what I have witnessed is that it really takes getting everybody aligned, marketing, sales, and leadership and making sure you have the buy-in on like, these are the metrics we're looking at. These are the ones that are important because otherwise you're going to be showing good account-based metrics and your leadership team is going to be like, okay, but what about MQLs? How many MQLs did we generate? And you're not going to have a good answer for that because that's not what you're tracking and that's not what you should be tracking. Yeah. What I love of what you just outlined is kind of another major reason that ABM fails is the philosophical component of we're shifting our organization in the way that we think. And then that plays out in how you operationalize it. So recognizing 
if you've traditionally gone on an MQL model and you're transitioning over to where the main marketing metric of success might be like account engagement or influenced revenue or sourced revenue, those are just different metrics of success. So I love that call out. Now, as we dig through the transition and how do you set up the operations, Ryan, I think that there's really four main components that we want to talk through today. So if you want to give a high level, like what are the four main things people should be considering as they build the operational foundation for ABM? Yeah, I think very start before you build anything out, you want to think about your target account list. What are the companies that you are considering your target accounts that you're going to go after and give the majority of your marketing and sales attention to? Then there's some pieces of infrastructure you want to build to support that. And that's going to be like target account scoring, which is a little more complicated than just like a lead score because you're dealing with organizations that could be very different sizes. And there's different things you have to think about with an account score than an individual contact score. Account stage automation, it's another one. There's some little nuances that are different from the life cycle stage of a contact. But with accounts, you need that same funnel to be defined and you need to have automation to tell your map and your CRM how companies should be moved through that funnel, when it should happen. You don't want to be doing all of that manually because it's going to be a huge, huge pain in the ass. And then I think the last piece, and I want to emphasize the last piece, this is not something you should do first, is thinking about what other technology and tools do you need to support your ABM strategy and how are they going to integrate with your CRM and your map. I especially love the last piece because it's like everything you just outlined is so strategy first and like using technologies to fill gaps as opposed to using technologies to lead strategy. I think that's how organizations should be thinking. So again, as we dig into the, the foundational element that everybody should be thinking about is their target account list. How are you recommending people actually think through the development of that account list within their CRM? I think... First and foremost is kind of defining the size of the target account list. One of the things that I think I would do differently from my time at my previous company is get that a little tighter. We had, I think, 250 target accounts, and we didn't do a terribly good job of tiering those accounts. We had like a solid tier one, but beyond that, it was kind of like tier one and then everybody else. When you take an account-based approach, you are doing a lot more customization and personalization to those accounts. Your marketing team and your sales team have to give a lot more effort to each of those accounts. And that means it's going to be fewer total accounts they're going to be able to give that level of attention to. I think as people are listening back to this, you said 270 accounts and that was too large. So I I am curious if you're looking back, how large of a list would you have had given the team size and the level of involvement that you guys were doing? Because if I'm not mistaken, you guys were doing a one to few strategy. So it wasn't totally programmatic. It was a mix of customized and then high touch personalization based on the accounts, correct? Yeah, we did a couple of one to ones, but the majority of our stuff was one to few. Okay. I think that it's going to depend on your organization and how large and complex your sales process is. But as a general rule, I would say no more than one to two 
tier one accounts per AE. So tier one is going to be those accounts that they're like the golden ticket for you. The companies you absolutely would be killing your goals if you got to deal with them. They are going to get the most attention, the most personalization. That's where your one-to-one campaigns are probably going to exist. And then as you get into tier two and tier three, which are you know levels of personalization and attention lower than that, you're probably looking at maybe five to 10 tier twos and then 10 to 20 maybe tier threes. But you probably don't want to get to more than 25 accounts per AE because there's only so much of that customization you can do. And then especially if you have a small marketing team and you're focusing on these one-to-one and one-to-few campaigns, there's only so many marketing campaigns and assets that you can reasonably run. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is per AE, you would recommend somewhere in the ballpark about 25 target accounts, tiering those out to where you've got a couple of tier ones that are, we're thinking through a lot of relationship mapping, multi-threading, how do we break into these accounts in a really high touch way? And then your tier twos and tier threes are still pursuing, but maybe less of a truly day in, day out focus and maybe like a week in, week out focus. Yeah. To make an analogy here to something that I, I know, Mason, you're very familiar with from your previous podcasts. But if you're thinking about it in terms of like a job search, a tier one account would be the company you've always dreamed of working for. And you're going to reach out to people on LinkedIn and form relationships in different parts of the company to get good references internally to get a job. A tier three or even outside of your target account list would be if you're just sending resumes, you know, 15 a day, just trying to get in front of someone and it doesn't really matter if you have a relationship there. Yeah. Good fit accounts versus best fit, great fit type accounts. Yeah. We're getting some questions in the comments. So I just want to clear the outlines. We're thinking about this list of 270. Like what was the main goal for this list? I'm assuming it was conversion into sales conversations, not just brand awareness. Yeah, absolutely. We actually took kind of a a tiered approach to the marketing, not to use the word tier for every single piece of this conversation, but we really started with brand awareness because the company I was with was breaking into a new part of the industry. They had developed a, a good niche and then we're trying to expand into some additional areas. So for those accounts that were outside of our niche that we had already dominated, we started with very much a brand awareness play. And then as we saw those metrics move and we saw more, you know, website visitors from target accounts, more engagement from contacts at those accounts, then we started to move into more of that relationship building. And we called it a land and expand approach. Yeah. So speaking on website engagement and the ability to actually start to identify what account should be focused on relationship building it really sounds like we're starting to move into that account scoring. So as people are thinking through actually how they score their accounts for prioritization for their sales team, what are the recommendations that you would give to somebody as they're thinking through, how do I score out these accounts? Yeah. Account scoring is tough because if you're dealing with organizations of different sizes, then it becomes really hard to make an equivalent score. You can't just add up all of the contact scores because you may have one or two contacts at one company and 50 contacts at another company. 
And then your account scores are going to look dramatically different, even though at the company where you only have two contacts, you may have really deep relationships there that actually indicate you're further along in the process than the big company where you have a bunch of low contact score contacts. So definitely don't just add up all of your contact scores. That's a recipe for failure. One thing I recommend a lot to companies that aren't doing an ABM approach is to create some firmographic criteria for scoring so that you're making sure that companies are within your ICP. You don't have to do that if you're taking an ABM approach because presumably you've already determined that they are a target account. So they do fit all that firmographic data. So that's just going to throw off your scoring. I think two things that you can do with and should do with target account scoring. One is using time bounds so that you are rewarding recent activity from those accounts and making sure that you're not telling sales that this company is a hot lead when really they haven't visited your website in six months. Yeah. So using different criteria at once again, different tiers so that you're kind of saying, okay, if they've done this, this many times or this recently, we're going to give them more points than if they've just done it once or if they did it 30 days ago. So that's one thing that you should do. Another is just using that score. Once you've built out the criteria, use it to actually determine who's hot for sales outreach. If you have account scores that are spiking, that's a great opportunity. If you've built it right, it should mean that there's good engagement and that's a good opportunity for sales to reach out. I love the call out of don't just add up your contact scores and don't just focus on firmographics. I am curious on two questions though. As we think through account tiering, would you provide a higher score to a tier one versus a tier three and make that a blanketed score of they get 25 extra points if they're a tier one versus 10 if they're a tier three? Is there any thought in the scoring from that perspective or is it just kind of known these are tier one accounts and they're showing engagement? I actually think you can use an account score to determine to a degree what the tiers are. Your tier one may not change very much, but I, I don't think that account tiering should be static. I don't think that you should look at it and say, okay, this is it for now to the end of time. These are the tiers of the accounts. I think that can change as your engagement changes, as the companies interact with you and you form relationships there. So maybe you bump up a company from a tier three to a tier two because they're showing interest and engagement and they're in market. Yeah. So there should be some regular evaluation of what those tiers are and you can use account scoring to inform that. Yeah. As I'm thinking through it just very practically, it sounds like your tier three, if we were to make it simple for people, your tier three could be your one to many vertical specific, always on ABM programs that are going after their same accounts and just trying to drive engagement brand awareness. Your tier twos are those tier three accounts that are now brand aware that are showing engagement that may need a touch from sales and your tier one or we just want this logo because they're the best logo they've got great opportunity there's a huge dollar value there and they may be showing significant levels of awareness already that help us prove out the account-based model so again the tier three would be one to many tier two would be one to few tier one would be one to one is that a good way to break it down yeah yeah i think so and i see christopher's been commenting in the comments here. I, I think that tier one, in order to not exhaust the company, 
you may actually want to switch up those tier ones and say, we're going to do one-to-one campaigns to this company for the next six months, three months, what, whatever it is. And then we're just going to give them a little bit of break. If it's not working, we'll back off, we'll reevaluate and find a different way to approach them. Yeah. I, I love that. And I know it's something that people often are doing of just rotating the accounts that they're focused on. But from my perspective, and this is just one man's opinion, I don't think you should fully cycle an account out of any marketing programming. If they've been a tier one, you've been doing one-to-one for six months and then you just go completely cold. I think they should get at least some level of always on programming at all times because they're the right fit companies. Yeah. And I think that's really the idea of having target accounts to begin with. Everybody on the target account list should be getting something, even if it's some light, always on evergreen content. Yeah. Perfect. Again, we're talking through the transition of tiering. It's not static, but I'm going to make the assumption that in order to effectively transition tiers in such a way that is not this massively labor intensive process, we're going to need some really solid account automation for transitioning accounts through account stages. So first, can we define what that actually even means as we think through the automated transition of accounts? Yeah, absolutely. I think you can get really complex with your account stages, how you're defining them, and then how you're automating them. I think it's it's so much better to just keep it simple and make it really easily understandable what's happening at those different stages. The way I thought about it is very top level is they're a stranger. They may not even know you exist. There's no measurable indication that they have been to your website, engaged with your marketing, they're a stranger. The next step would be a visitor is is probably a good term for it. You do have some sort of indication. They've been to your website and there are tools you can use to see, even if you don't have them as a contact in your CRM, that someone from that company has been to your website. That's one of the big perks that the ABM platforms tout, but you're now seeing that functionality becoming more accessible. HubSpot now offers that. There is a report you can go to where you can just see these are the companies that are visiting our website. This is some specific info on the visits. You won't know who it is, but you can tell certain information. So that's stranger, visitor. After that, you've got to have some sort of actual engagement with them. You have to know who a person is. So it's a hot lead situation where you might be using that account score. You've probably had at least a couple of people from that account who have converted on your website and are now in your CRM. They're showing some sort of engagement with your marketing and it's more than just they saw it. That's the point after marketing has qualified them as the right role within the company that sales should be talking to, then you're passing it on to sales. And that's when I think the next stage would be an opportunity where a meeting is happening or a demo is being held. But that sales qualification and buy-in process. And then from there, it's customer. And hopefully, depending on your business model, you could have single-time customers. And when I was doing it, we had some kind of transactional sales. So we were looking at current customers, repeat customers, 
and then eventually you could get into something like an evangelist where you have people actually referring business to you or doing case studies and you may want to to add that into your stages as well i love that the the simple breakdown of stranger visitor contact and database engaged account and transition over to sales and then essentially running the sales process from there yeah. i'm curious as you think about what's the value of being able to show these different account stages for your executive team and also then as you activate marketing programs. Yeah. If you think about it like a visual report of this, at the beginning, you're probably looking at an upside down triangle where you've got the most companies up top, total strangers. You're going to have to do some awareness plays. But gradually, the, the widest point of the report should be moving down. <laughs> Ideally, it is the reverse. It is a triangle. You have tons of customers and then like very few people that have no idea who you are. But you can adjust your strategy as you see that thickest line move down the funnel. So when we started, because we were shifting into this new segment of the industry, we did have a massive amount of total strangers at the top. We ran a bunch of awareness plays and we saw that moving down, we saw a I think it was 130 something percent increase in website traffic from target accounts, which is was great. And you can literally just see that in the chart. You can see the thickest point moving and you can adjust your strategy, your marketing strategy as you see that happening. Yeah. It's just helpful for the executive team to be able to see, oh, we started here and this group that is the largest number of people that we want to be engaging is continuing to become aware of us and moving into actual potential for sales conversations. That visual is just helpful as ABM does take a, a bit of time to be able to show the progression of your account-based program. But I also love just the shift and we may not need to run as much brand awareness because they're brand aware. Now we yeah. need to be talking more solution-oriented language and how we can help them solve their problems. Yeah, and something that I think is really important these stages, it's not a one way street. Companies can move down the funnel. They can also move back up. Mm. So when you're thinking about the automation that you're building in, make sure you're accounting for ways that companies may move backwards in the process. A company may talk to sales, in which case they would be at that opportunity level pretty close to the bottom. But maybe they talked to sales six months ago and they haven't had any contact since. I don't know that you can consider them still in that stage. There has to be some mechanism that moves the company back up. And a, an important part of this is for your marketing and how you're segmenting your campaigns. You don't want to be hitting that person with stuff that is designed for someone who is currently engaged with sales. Yeah. Or when you're thinking about how you're defining those stages and how you're automating movement between them, you need to allow for that bi-directional movement. You will absolutely see some companies that, that move back up the funnel. And hopefully what you're not seeing is the widest band getting wider at the top. Yeah. But if it is happening, no, no. you want to know that. Exactly. It sounds like there's just clear gates that you want to develop of when the people in this organization do X action, they are qualified to move to the next stage or if 60 days has passed and they haven't had any engagement with sales, we want to bump them back up. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Okay. I know we're up on time, but just to, to round us out, as we're thinking through the integration of new tools, you've built out this program in HubSpot or Salesforce. How do you first think through what are the gaps that we experience before you go to buy new tools? As we alluded to at the beginning, I think technology is there to support and scale your ABM strategy. It's not there to define your strategy. One thing that I would definitely do differently if I were to create an ABM program from scratch is I, I wouldn't jump straight into Terminus. We adopted Terminus really early. I think we could have built out a really good strategy with the tools that we already had and maybe just like layer on some LinkedIn or Facebook or Google ads on top of that instead of paying for this really expensive platform that we did end up getting a lot of utility out of, but we could have done it ourselves and, and then reallocated that budget to more advertising, more creative content creation. Yeah. I love the point of, I don't think any of us can disagree that an ABM platform has great functionality, oftentimes for ABM specific reporting, just out of the box. It's what it's there for. Yeah. But you can build it in a lot of the existing platforms. It just may take a second longer and a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And what I'm seeing happen a lot more now is a lot of that functionality that you're getting from an ABM platform is being built directly into your CRM. So HubSpot has that anonymous website visitor data. They just acquired Clearbit. So I'm expecting there's going to be a lot of data enrichment that's going to be added, possibly even some intent data. I think there's really good ways that you can get that info without paying the giant price tag for an ABM platform. And then at some point, hopefully you're reaching a stage where you're really stretching the limits of what you already have. And that's the time to look into an ABM platform to help scale you to the next level. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right, Ryan, final parting word. If somebody's thinking about building an ABM platform, what's one other thing you would just offer them as the, you have to think through this as the starting point to think through? I think number one thing for sure, this is the first thing you should do before you even define your target account list, get your whole go-to-market organization on board with an account-based strategy. It's We're calling it account-based marketing, but it's really account-based go-to-market because your leadership team needs to be bought in. They need to agree that this is a good way to approach it and to measure it. Your sales team needs to be bought in because if you're passing them a bunch of leads, but they're focused on non-target accounts and not giving your target accounts the time and attention they need. It's going to fail. Sales is going to be unhappy with you. You're going to be unhappy with sales. The alignment's going to be totally out of whack. Get everybody on board ahead of time because it's so much easier, speaking from experience, to do it before you adopt this approach than in the middle of you trying to run it. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. We've got some questions in the comments that Ryan and I will follow up async. But if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to Ryan over LinkedIn. Ryan, is there anywhere else you'd like to point people? LinkedIn is always the best place to reach me. I'm on there entirely too much. I also have a newsletter. If you go to aptitude8.com newsletter, you can find it there. 
we're about to publish a really cool research report on the use of AI for go-to-market teams. So keep an eye on that. I think that should launch on Thursday. I love it. Well, again, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for dropping just a ton of wisdom on how to build the operational foundation. Go sign up for the newsletter at aptitude8.com. And this has been Scrappy ABM. We hope you all enjoyed. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scrappy ABM. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go ahead and give us a follow so that you don't miss a single episode. We drop every single Monday so that you can start your week off right. And if you're looking for additional great content just like this, go check out scrappyabm.com. We're building a library of frameworks, guides, templates, processes, and tools so you have everything that you need to build a low-budget, high-impact Scrappy program. Again, thank you for listening to this episode of Scrappy ABM. This has been your host, Mason Cosby, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.